The resurrection, listen, gives you the reason to surrender everything to Jesus. Hi, my name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. So this morning, I would like you to imagine with me for just a moment that an archaeologist finds absolute positive proof that he has unearthed the grave of Jesus, of Nazareth. And I want you to imagine with me for just a moment that you cannot disprove that, that that it is a fact. What would that do to your faith? I'm pretty sure there's some of us here, myself probably included, that would desperately want to hold on to what we believe. We would want to believe that Jesus was God and that he died for us. We, We would still want to believe that he spoke for God and that he revealed God to us. Even though he did not rise from the dead, they found his bones, and he really is still dead. Um, Savine Jones, I found this, I just want to share it with you. It's just, it's, it's, she is the president of Union Seminary up in, uh, in New York, and this is a, a few Easter's ago. A few, she wrote, Happy Easter. You can believe in resurrection without believing in a bodily resurrection of Jesus. Faith is more than adherence to rigid dogma. The truth about our lives, about our world, is God's love and grace will always have the final word, rejoice. But I want to tell you something. Paul, the man most responsible for the New Testament, he very much disagrees with Serene Jones. And he makes it clear that... uh, If Jesus is not risen from the dead, then then our faith is absolutely worthless. And no matter how much we might want to hang on to it, if Christ isn't risen from the dead, what we believe is worthless. It's not true. He says we're pitiful and we're liars if it's not true. However, However, let me quickly say Jesus is risen from the dead. And the resurrection of Jesus is foundation, foundational to our faith as followers of Jesus. It's the capstone. If I might use the vernacular, it's the whole ball of wax. It's the whole enchilada. Today I want to talk to you about the resurrection of Jesus. I read this joke this week. You may have heard it before, but it's Resurrection Sunday. As a man's going out of the service, he shakes the pastor's hand. He says, Pastor, you're in a rut. Every time I come here, you preach on the same thing. (laughs) I used to feel that preaching on the resurrection of Jesus every Resurrection Sunday was something that I really shouldn't do. I, I should, we should branch out and talk about other things, but I've changed my mind on that. I just want you to know, every Resurrection Sunday and other times as well, we will talk about the resurrection of Jesus because really, without it, we have nothing. 
On Wednesday nights, we've been studying the book of Acts, which is after the first four books of the New Testament that chronicle the life of Jesus. The book of Acts is what happens after Jesus dies and rises from the dead, right? And one of the things that's really stood out to to me anyway as we've been studying Acts is how absolutely in, in the minds of the followers of Jesus, how important, how essential, how absolutely foundational it is to those early believers that Jesus rose from the dead. It's the central proclamation of their lives. And furthermore, it became the the promise or the foundation of the promise that Jesus made them that he was going to raise them from the dead. Last year in 2022, LifeWay did a state of theology survey in our country, and they found that 66% of Americans... Not 66% of Christians, but 66% of Americans say they believe, and there is a difference between being an American and being a Christian, okay? Just so we don't conflate those two. 66% of Americans say they believe in uh, the literal accounts of the resurrection of Jesus. And by the way, that remains pretty much unchanged from 2018 and probably even further back than that. Evangelicals affirm that truth at 90%. That means 10% of us that claim to believe the Bible, we don't believe that Jesus literally rose from the dead. But uh, it drops off to 75% if you're of another professing Christian group. But 66% of Americans believe that. Um, So why do we claim that? Why do so many people claim that? I think Americans, 66% of us claim that because they've been told the truth that what we have in our Bibles are eyewitness accounts of what happened to Jesus. And we see the transformation of the lives of those men and women who at the time were there for the resurrection of Jesus. From cowards, they became convinced. From hiding, they began to proclaim. From milquetoast men, they became martyrs for their their faith because they had seen Jesus risen from the dead. I remember as a young 19-year-old, I was, I was faced with the question, what do you believe about Jesus, Jimmy? I mean, by God, I think. He posed the question to me. And I remember that the primary, the primary piece that, that changed me and, and led me to become a follower of Jesus was the life of those men who followed Jesus and how their whole lives were transformed, how they went to their grave professing to, uh, to believe in Jesus, and they would all die for it. Except for John, all of them would die a martyr's death. Uh, John would die in exile. But let me go back to that survey from last year. The distressing part of that study was that it reveals that only about 30-some percent of that 66% or of that, you know, only 30-some percent of Americans say that Jesus rose from the dead actually is relevant to their lives. Only 30% of Americans will attend a church on, uh, on any given Sunday morning. So we got 66% of Americans claiming they believe Jesus rose from the dead, but yet only 30-some percent believe that's even relevant to their life or it affects their life so they're a part of, of this Christian movement. Author and apologist Rebecca McLaughlin says, and I think she's the author of this report, 
of this survey, but she says many Americans need to understand what difference it makes that Jesus rose from the dead. We need to show them that it makes all the difference in the world. And then she goes on to talk about the implications of so many Americans claiming to believe in the certainty and in the reality of the resurrection of Jesus, but then less than half of them are saying that it matters in their life. She goes on, she says, I'm heartbroken because the idea that someone would say they believe Jesus actually rose from the dead, but that this belief would have so little impact on their life that they weren't even part of a church is truly tragic. This exposed the danger of a cultural Christianity, the vague ascent to the Christian beliefs without any evidence of actual faith in, in Christ. So this morning, if you'll just bear with me for a little bit of time, I want to share with you on this subject this morning. Why does the resurrection of Jesus matter? Why should it, what does it accomplish? You know, um, what, what does it have to do with my life? What's the relevance of it? And I'm going to share with you, if you have your bulletins on the back, there's a little outline that you can kind of follow along with you. But, but I want to give you, I want to give you five reasons or five uh, truths that make the resurrection of Jesus absolutely relevant to all of our lives this morning. So let's dive in. This is a topical message. This is not going to be an exposition of any portion of Scripture, although I hope to back up my statements with, with God's Word. So here's, here's the first one. Why does the resurrection matter? Because it gives us confirmation of Jesus' identity. It, it proves to us who Jesus is. Now, if there's anything that the early church preached, along with the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead, they preached that it confirmed that Jesus was both Lord and God. Here's the writers of the book of Acts. Here's the writer of the book of Acts saying this. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Fellow folks here this morning, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through among you through him, as you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked man, men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep him, keep its hold on him. Verse 33, therefore, this is Acts chapter 2, therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. And then verse 36, he says, Therefore, because all of that, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him, that would be Jesus, both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Paul would say much the same thing in the book of Acts later on when he's talking in Athens. He says, therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day by which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. The minds of the early believers, in their minds, Jesus' death and resurrection was sufficient proof to all of us that Jesus is who he claims to be. Now, who does Jesus claim to be? We ought to talk about that for just a moment. Who does Jesus claim to be to us? Well, here's the claim that he made, as outlandish as it is, he claimed to be God. He actually claimed to be the creator of everything, and he became one of us. Now, 
He claimed that his enemies said of him, you being a man, make yourself out to be God. His friends said of, of him at the end, you know, Thomas said to him, uh, or when Thomas said, when, Tom, when Jesus showed his wounds to Thomas, who had doubted, uh, Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Jesus told Pete Philip himself, he said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Ann and I were watching again the third season of The Chosen this past week. And I was sitting there, and I guess because this is on my mind, and, and in The Chosen, I, 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 I said to her, there's, a, there's Jesus doing something in The Chosen, right? And I said to her, do you realize that we believe that that man is actually the creator of the universe. Now, I don't mean the chosen actor. I'm talking about that we believe that that man representing Jesus, that Jesus, that we believe that man was God become one of us. Jesus claimed to be God and became one of us. And uh, how many of us have said something like this? Have you ever said something like this? Man, I just wish God would come down and talk to me. Ever said something like that? I think most of us have at least thought that, if not said it even out loud. John, the apostle of Jesus, or disciple of Jesus, wrote this. He said, the word, talking about Jesus, became a human being and lived here with us. And we saw his true glory, the glory of the only son of the father. From him, the complete gifts of unreserved, uh, undeserved grace and truth have come down to us. You know, God gave us what we want. It wasn't exactly like you and I want it, where I want a personal audience but, but God came down here to tell us exactly what he's like. You know, exactly who he is. So why should you believe that Jesus is God? You should believe that Jesus is God. Here's what the disciples said. Because God confirmed his identity through the resurrection of Jesus. That's why the resurrection matters to us. It's why we believe Jesus is God. Because Jesus rose from the dead. Here's the second thing the resurrection of Jesus does for us. It gives us con conviction to live by all that Jesus has commanded us. Jesus would say to his followers, that would be hopefully most, if not all of you in this room, he said, go make disciples, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you, right? So when Jesus asks us um, to, uh, to follow him, he says things like this, if any man wishes to come after me, let him take up his cross, deny himself, and follow me. You know, Jesus didn't make his appeals palatable. You know what I mean by that? He didn't water them down. He didn't make them sound easy. He asked for it all. When the rich man came to him and said, what, what must I do to follow you? Remember what Jesus told him? He said, give everything you have away and come and follow me and then you'll have eternal life. Here's what Jesus calls you and me to do. He calls us to die to our lives now and to live for a future life with him. That's what Jesus is calling everyone in this room to do. Matthew 6, 19, do not store up, this is Jesus speaking, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. You know, in the world we have a statement or a saying, an idiom, and it says something like this, a bird in hand is worth what do we mean by that? Well, if you got one in your hand, it's worth not having any of them that are over in the bush, right? Why should I live for someone who tells me to give up my life now 
for what I might have in the future. What assurance can I have that Jesus actually can fulfill on what his promises are that I will get to live forever? Why should I give up my selfishness and my self-pleasures now to follow him when I can't see any of it? I can't see it or feel it or know it by sight. That's a good question. Paul actually says, if Christ wasn't raised, you might as well eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die, right? So Paul recognizes this. Jesus' directives to our lives are this, be all in. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with everything that you have, right? So if you've determined that you don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead, why would you waste your Sundays gathering with us? I mean, if you don't believe Jesus rose from the dead, in my opinion, uh, you have no reason to live your lives by the directives that Jesus left us. But if Jesus is raised from the dead, in his resurrection, you have the conviction you need to live as Jesus instructed you. You have assurance that you are not believing a lie, but rather you are standing on the truth. Here's what Paul wrote to the Philippian church. This is a church he started, and he would write them a letter later on. He said, but he was talking about his past. And he says, whatever were, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of God's chosen one. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Messiah Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things and considered all garbage that I may gain the Messiah. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, guys, Jesus is risen from the dead. I know it. So everything that, that I used to consider to be gain and important in my life, I tell you what, I don't care about it anymore because I'm following the one who's risen from the dead. He goes on and says this, brothers and sisters, do not con I do not consider myself yet having taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind me and straining toward what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in, in Christ Jesus. The resurrection, listen, gives you the reason to surrender everything to Jesus. It gives you the conviction why you should follow him. Why should you observe everything that Jesus has commanded you to do? Why should you do it? Why should you subjugate your life to Jesus? Why should you put yourself under him? Why should you deny the things that you might want that you know are wrong according to Jesus' commands? Why would you do that? You do that because Jesus rose from the dead. And he gives you that conviction. Peter once asked Jesus about themselves. He said, you know, we've surrendered everything to follow you. Jesus said, you've not surrendered anything that God will not return a hundredfold. How do you know that to be true? Because Jesus is alive. He's not dead. Number three, it gives us certainty that we too will be raised from the dead like Jesus. I got to tell you guys, I'm pretty convinced that people fear dying. They're, they're afraid to die, and they're afraid of the unknown. Uh, three men were at a funeral, and they were looking at the, their friend in the casket, and they, you know, one of them said, man, what do you want them to say about you when you're dead? One of them said, man, I want them to say, 
You know, when he's looking at the cat, he says, I want to walk by and I want him to say, man, he was a good dad. The second one said, I want him to walk by and say, man, he was a good husband. They looked at the third one and said, what, what do you want him to say? I want him to say, hey, look, he moved. <laughs> so Woody Allen speaks for most of us when he says, I don't want to achieve immortality through my work. I want to achieve immortality by not dying. Jesus' resurrection gives me certainty, a blessed hope, as Michael prayed, that in death I don't perish, but rather I have eternal life in him and with him. When Lazarus died, Jesus assures his sisters and and us, he is the reason for our resurrection. John 11, 21, we know the story well. Lazarus is dead. Martha's grieving. Mary's grieving. Martha comes out to meet Jesus because he's there four days late. And she said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And even now, I know whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Martha, do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I have believed that you are God's chosen one, the son of God, even he who comes into the world. The Bible is crystal clear, everyone, that what awaits the one who trusts in Jesus is eternal life with God resurrected from the dead to have a body like Jesus had, to sport a new resurrected body. How important is Jesus' resurrection to our resurrection? Paul says, if Jesus isn't raised, what's going to happen to us? There's no resurrection for us either. It's because Jesus is raised. I can have hope that I too will be raised from the dead. Here's Paul, what he says about Jesus' resurrection as a guarantee. He says, but as it is, as it is the chosen one, the Messiah, has been raised up from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in the Messiah all will be made alive. For each of us in his own order, the Messiah the firstfruits, afterward at his coming, those who belong to the Messiah. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when he abolishes all rule and authority and power. You know, when you pick the first fruits of your garden in just a short amount of time, what does that mean to you? Doesn't it mean that more is coming? Unless you're a farmer like me and you only get one tomato, right? Uh, For most of you great farmers, it means, hey, there's more to come. It's just beginning, right? And that's that's what the Scripture says about us in in, in Jesus' resurrection. It's a promise for for us. I know this is going going to be really kooky, and some of y'all aren't going to like this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Do you ever think about your resurrection? Do you ever think about it? Do Do you ever, you're buried in a casket, How do you get out? I mean, I'm serious. That's kind of scary thinking resurrected into a casket buried six feet down, right? How does that happen? Or what if you died in the ocean and the fish ate you? How do you get resurrected then, right? How does that happen? Or let's say you've been dead for a long time and your body's gone. From dust you came to dust you will return. All your atoms are turned to the dust of the ground. How do you get resurrected? (laughs) Well, in in the Marvel movies, here's how they presented it, right? Thanos does away with half of all the population, and they dissolve into dust. And then when they're restored, I'm trying to give the movie away, but when they're restored, the dust 
comes back and forms, forms them again. <laughs> I know this is kooky, right? But I think that's how it's going to be. God will take the dust of the earth and he will recreate us. And then he will breathe life back into us. And all of that we are guaranteed because that's... Well, he didn't have to recreate Jesus. His body de- didn't decompose. He breathed his life back into Jesus and he breathed again. I want to share with you a corollary point here. So this isn't really... So on your notes, you'll notice I've got a corollary truth to this one. All right? And my corollary truth to this one is because Jesus has been raised from the dead and God has promised to raise me, it gives us an equal certainty that our sins are forgiven, that my wrong has been atoned. You know, if people are afraid of dying, you know one of the things they're really afraid of along with that is that they're going to have to answer to God one day. They're going to have to stand in judgment before God. And I think people, not everyone, but the Bible says that God has put the knowledge of himself in every one of our hearts. And I think that's why every culture worships. That's why every people group has this idea of a God to which they'll answer. Why? Because God has put that in our hearts, right? It's in our hearts. And we're afraid of that day. And maybe we should be afraid of that day. The Bible says it's appointed for man once to die and then the judgment. So I think we all inherently just in our inward selves, we know that's true. Now, the declaration of God is that the wages of sin is death. And the person that sins is the one who will die, Ezekiel 18, 20. But the truth that God has promised us eternal life has a corollary that we can be confident that Jesus is going to forgive us all of our sin. In fact, all throughout his ministry, Jesus was forgiving sin, and he was making a point of telling people, in me you are forgiven. Remember Jesus and the paralyzed man they lowered through the roof? There's a story of a guy, he's paralyzed, his friends dig a hole in the roof where Jesus is, and they lower him down because they can't get to him through the door. And the first thing that Jesus says to him, he says, man, your faith has saved you, your sins are forgiven. And everybody, of course, is like, how can you say such a thing? And, and of course, Jesus goes on and says, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? It's easier to say your sins are forgiven, right? But so he says, so you might know that I have the right to forgive sins. Get up and walk. Jesus told his disciples, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost Jesus forgave our sins, and it's explained throughout the entire New Testament. Uh, But the bottom line is this, 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made Jesus who knew no sin to become sin for us, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. So here's how it works, just in case you don't know, and, and I don't imagine everybody here maybe knows, but here's how it works. Jesus became one of us, and he lived without sin. He knew no sin. He was tempted like us, but he never sinned. And here's what he did. With his perfect obedience and his perfect life, he laid it down for us who are sinners, who's the wage of our sin is death. Jesus laid down his perfect life in death for you and me. And this is the good news. If I would put my faith in that, God would forgive my sins. And the resurrection of Jesus gives us this certainty, this confidence, not only that God's going to raise me from the dead, but that he has washed away my sin. And there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. Hey, I meet people, I meet people, maybe you're one of them, and they're so burdened with the shame of their guilt 
They're so burdened that how could God ever forgive me? I just want you to know, it doesn't matter what you've done in the Lord Jesus. Because of his resurrection, you can know that your sins are forgiven because Jesus is alive. And then finally, and, uh, and I think this is the fourth reason, or the fifth, if you want to count that corollary as a separate one. I think this is the fourth reason that why the resurrection of Jesus is so germane to us, why it matters so much to you and me. It's because it gives us confidence that Jesus is going to return. In the New Testament, the hope of the New Testament believer is that Jesus would return. And his return would guarantee their resurrection. His return would not only guarantee their resurrection, but his return would guarantee a change in the world, that the world would be restored to the paradise that God wanted it to me to be. Here's Paul, 1 Corinthians again. But each in his own order, the Messiah, the firstfruits, after that is coming, those who belong to Messiah will be made alive. The resurrection of Jesus gives us confidence that God's going to raise us from the dead. And when he raises us from the dead, he's going to lift the curse that's on the earth. Listen, I know if you have not put your faith in Jesus, what I'm saying is just so fanciful. But I want you to know that's our hope. It is our hope that God's going to make everything right again. And he's going to fix this broken world. Because I bet you every one of you would agree that, man, we're, we're, it's broken out there. It's broken out there. Here's what, here's what Paul said to the church at Rome in chapter 8. He said, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. Here's what he says. He says, I, I'm convinced that everything we're going through now that includes so much suffering, and some of you are suffering now, and some of you have suffered, and some of you will suffer. He says, it cannot compare to what is going to be revealed to us. Verse 19, for the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. That would be us, to be revealed in the resurrection for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. That would be God subjecting the world to futility in the hope that the creation itself would one day be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. Here's what Paul says. The whole world has been brought into this decay that's going to be released when God, when God you know, restores us to eternal life and the new kingdom begins. Verse 22, For we know that the whole creation was groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Everything is groaning, Paul says, but we're waiting for the return of Jesus because at the return of Jesus, not only will we rise from the dead to never die again, but he's going to restore all things back to the way he wanted them to be. Prior to the, the turn of the 20th century, most of the church, that would be most believers throughout the centuries gone by, they believed that the kingdom of Jesus would win the world. They believed that the gospel, the good news of Jesus was going to conquer the world and it would permeate the entire world. And what would happen eventually is that 
Jesus would step back onto a world that had been redeemed by the Spirit and by the work of, of God's people. That, that's what almost everybody believed. But then World War I happened. You know, and whatever, whatever uh, gain we'd made, well, it seemed to be, that seemed to knock it back down. And then right on the heels of World War I came World War II. And again, you know, the whole world turned into chaos and, 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 and the church began to turn away from that position that we were going to somehow redeem the world and, and make it right. You know, back in the 1980s and 90s, I was alive for this. You know, our country's leaders, not, not the church, but the, our country's leaders said that with the end of the Cold War and the dissolution of the USSR, that we'd be ushering in a day of world peace and prosperity. That did not happen. Right? It did not happen. The world is more dangerous today, maybe even more evil. The evil is more pervasive than ever. Now, I want, to, I want you to hear what I'm going to say here. I do believe the Bible asserts the kingdom of God will grow. And I do believe it asserts that the kingdom of God is going to permeate the entire world. And we're seeing that. We're seeing that. Go back 19, I might get the dates wrong. But, but back in the 1980s, I think it was, or 1990s, the way missiologists have figured it out. They said there was 12,000 unreached people groups. There was 12,000 groups of people, ethnic groups of people around the world that did not have a Bible, that the good news of Jesus had not been preached to them. Now some 40 years later, that number's down to 6,000 something. So you see, we've made quite a bit of progress on these unreached people groups over the last 40 years. Of course, the last 6,000 they're going to be the hardest ones to reach, right? So I'm sure that that time frame is going to slow down. My point is simply saying is that the gospel is permeating the world. Jesus said it would. It was going to be like leaven in a leaven in a loaf, and it was going to permeate the whole loaf. And indeed, the good news of Jesus is permeating the whole world. There are, there are men and women from every corner of the globe that are now following Jesus. So the gospel is indeed, it is going into all the world. But, but I, I think it's just, uh, I don't think the Bible teaches that uh, somehow the gospel is going to redeem the world from all the evil and corruption. I think Paul and others make it clear that that's only going to happen when Jesus comes again. So when Jesus comes again, when he, when he comes again, he's going to change the world. And the reason why the reason why that is true is because Jesus rose from the dead. After 40 days of meeting with his disciples, Jesus returns to uh, God's heaven. It says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. And after he had said this, he was taken away as they watched, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while he was going... They were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them, and they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you see him going into heaven. The resurrection of Jesus tells us that Jesus is coming again to fix everything. In the closing story of Narnia, the Narnia Chronicles, C.S. Lewis attempts to express the absolute joy that will come as our earthly lives come to an end and we are reunited with God for all eternity. And this is what Lewis wrote. I think it's called The Last Battle. Yeah, The Last Battle. He says, 
The things that began to happen after that were so, this is at the return of Jesus, were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. And I love happy ever after endings. I can't stand movies that don't end right. Life's hard enough. Why should I go to a movie that ends in tragedy, right? C.S. Lewis says, they all lived happily ever after. And that's what the Bible says. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their lives in this world had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they are beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. And all of that is because Jesus is risen from the dead. So why does this matter that Jesus is risen from the dead? The resurrection of Jesus confirms that Jesus is Lord. It gives us conviction to lay down our lives before Jesus in obedience to his will. And can I labor there for just a second? Is that really true? Is that really true? Does the death and resurrection of Jesus give us conviction to live our lives in obedience to his desires and his will when it means I have to die to my own desires and crucify my own desires? Is that really true among us? That's a rhetorical question, but it's a question I really wish that I would ask myself and you would ask yourself this morning. Is that really true? Does the resurre- If you believe in the resurrection of Jesus, does it give you conviction to live your life for him Or do we just play this Christian game? It gives us certainty that one day we will rise embodied from the grave with a physical body. I was reading this morning, or I read this morning to you, was it this morning somewhere? Oh, I know where it was. It was in the prayer meeting. We read that whole chapter of Luke, and Jesus said, I'm not a spirit. Give me a piece of fish and bread to eat. We're going to rise embodied like Jesus did from the grave. And we have certainty that because that's true, I am forgiven. I don't care what you've done. In Jesus, you are forgiven. All right? Now listen, I'm not saying continue in sin that grace might increase. In fact, 1 John says, if that's how you're living, you've totally misunderstood the good news of Jesus. Right? So I'm not, I'm not trying to give us license to just not care. I'm trying to say that if Jesus is risen, we do care and we are forgiven. And it gives us confidence that Jesus is coming. And we should pray it often and we should ask for it often. And we should, in our hearts, you know, we, we should remember what it will mean when Jesus comes again to fix the world and to remove the curse. Jesus said, come after me, all you who are burdened down, and I will give you rest. So here's my question. Is that you today? Are you tired of your old life? Are you tired of living selfishly? Then today is the day to follow Jesus. Today is the day to renounce yourself and surrender to Jesus and follow Jesus and believe on the Lord Jesus and receive the Lord Jesus, whatever term you want to use to trust in him, to follow him. I want to ask you, 
If you're not a follower of Jesus, would today be the day that you want to follow Jesus? Would you make that decision to follow Jesus because he is risen from the dead? I didn't go over the evidence, but look up the evidence yourself. I mean, the evidence is overwhelming. Again, I say this often, so forgive me, but for those of you that may have never heard it, the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus will get you to the door. I mean, it will, guys. I mean, I, I think you really have to deny the, the, the eyewitness testimony, the, the changed lives, the changed world. I mean, you've got to deny a lot of evidence to not get you to the door. But if you follow the evidence, it'll lead you to the door. But you know what? You have to go through the door by faith. You have to go through it by faith. And so on this Resurrection Sunday, I'm asking you, if you're at the door or you're on this side of the door, will you walk through the door by faith? And will you put your faith in Jesus? Will you follow him? You mean I can do that in a moment of time? Yes, you can do it in a moment of time. All of us do it in a moment of time. Not that, not, not, not that lots of stuff doesn't go before it and there'll be a world behind it. But it starts by walking through the door by faith. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check us out on YouTube and Facebook to get to know us and see what God is doing here in Surrey. Be blessed. Be blessed.